This morning, from this text, I'd like to look at what every Christian needs to know about the role of the preaching of the word in the life of the church. First of all, look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I want you to see who commanded the preaching of this word. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So in the presence of the Father, the Almighty, the Holy One, and Christ Jesus, Christ speaking of his role, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who will take away sins and his human name, Jesus, God, man. The second member of the Trinity who's existed from all eternity enters into humanity with a divine mission to fulfill all righteousness, every command of the law, to live not only a perfect life, to become a perfect sacrifice for sins and to rise again on the third day. So that forgiveness of sins and real relationship with God is possible. If there was ever a loaded charge, chapter 4, verse 1 would have to be it. On this basis, this Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. He who came the first time promised to return. And he is given a divine commission. We are to make disciples and we are to preach the word. You see, Jesus is both Lord and Savior, and he is the one who will judge the living and the dead. And if you want to see when this will take place and what it looks like, just go to Revelation chapter 20. This one who is promised to return will set up his millennial kingdom. There will be a thousand year reign and there is going to be a judgment that comes. And so what God is saying is that on the basis of the father and the son, And his appearing, his return, you are to preach the word. The word preach means to herald or to publicly proclaim. And now a herald, let me just give you a little background. We don't have a lot of heralds running around. Uh, Not the H-A-R-L-O-D. You know what I'm talking about. The heralds back in like the Roman Empire, they would go to various towns and cities. And what they would do is they would proclaim the edict or the message of the king, or in the case of the Roman Empire, the emperor. They might announce uh, uh, like a new law that was coming into place, government policies, some sort of victory, something that's taking place. And so a herald would appear and they would go ahead and make their announcement. And now don't get a herald confused with like a, um, an ambassador. An ambassador, you know, represents like a government But it's kind of the idea that they have the power to negotiate a little bit, right? That's not what a herald does. A herald actually, um, he just announces the message of the king. He in no way has the power to change the message or uh, actually start interfacing in a negotiating way. Like if the people like, we don't really like that. We don't like that law. We want that change. He has no power to do anything other than to proclaim it and to announce it. And, uh, you know, if you didn't like the messenger uh, or you didn't like his message, uh, you'd have to take that up with the king himself. If you abused the herald, you're setting yourself up with a serious confrontation with the army. For the word to preach, they are to herald the Word. You see that in verse 2? You're to preach the word. Christ, who exhorts us to do this, he actually empowers it to happen. And you do not preach like a commentary on what you think God is like. 
It's not studying Bible as literature. You're not preaching the latest news, your personal persuasion, your political position. You're actually supposed to preach the word. It's not, well, my denomination thinks this, or this is my particular theological tradition. You have one message to proclaim. It's between the two covers of this leather book, and it's called the Bible. You are to preach the word. And this isn't new. When Paul wrote 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. This is what you are to do. Because it's the Word of God, like we saw at the end of chapter 3, that brings both salvation and sanctification. The basis of preaching the Word is firmly rooted in the word that the, the reason that God gave the word in the first place. Remember in chapter 3, verse 14, what, uh, verse 15, 14 and 15, what does the word do? It has the power to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You proclaim the word, God brings about a saving work as you extol the virtues of Christ and show the sinfulness of man and the beauty of relationship that comes by virtue of faith in Christ. But the same word also brings about sanctification. It has the idea that builds you up, develops you. Like he says in 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God builds people to maturity. How? Through his word. Now, in order for you to really actually preach the word, You've got to believe that it is from God. Like we talked about, you've got to believe that it's inerrant. You've got to believe it's infallible, that it is authoritative. It is God's message to humanity. If you don't believe that, then you're not preaching. Because this is the message that God has given us. And so if you want a pattern on what this looks like, how do you deliver the message of the king? Well, you might want to take a few notes on how Ezra the scribe did it. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 says this. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so this is what it looks like. You preach the word, but in order to do that, you first study it. Now, sometimes people get the idea that, well, you know, for like... Pastors, Sunday comes every five days, whether you like it or not. And it's just always in front of you. It's like, oh, man, Sunday's coming. I got to bring a message. And so you come up with like a message and an idea of what you want to say or something that you've been really thinking a lot about. And so you want to present a message. And then you like, I need some Bible verses that kind of support what I want to say or, or maybe just kind of help or whatever. And you throw those Bible verses in and you've made your message. That is not what we're called to do. You don't make a message and find some Bible verses to fit in. Actually, your job is to figure out the message that God has already revealed in the Bible. And your job is to explain it and to expound it. So you study it. It is You want to give everything you got. It is helpful to actually get some training. But you want to be able to dive deep because after all, it's not your message that you're proclaiming. It's God's message and you want to get it right. And so what he says is you first study it. And then you practice it. You have to put it into play in your life. You're asking God, I see what you're saying. Now give me the ability through your strength to actually respond and to live this way and to do it. And you are speaking from personal experience. You're flawed. 
And, and let me assure you, the guy you're looking at here, lots of failure. And, but I, I'm a big believer in the Savior. Why? Because I missed the mark. I'm a sinner. But you are also the same guy moving in the direction of growing to apply the truth. You're responding to it personally. So you're not just speaking theoretically to folks. You're speaking from someone who's placing himself under the authority of Christ and his word. And you're showing not only what this text says, but how it applies. And so that's what you do. How it responds personally and how it responds in the lives of the people that you're speaking to. And this is so critically important. This is how God has set it up for people to grow in the faith. Because as go the leaders, so go the people. And so at Fellowship, this is why we value sequential expository preaching. Why we're even known in this community for going through books of the Bible and doing it verse by verse. Why? Because we believe this passage. We don't have some special message to put before you. We have what God has revealed. And that's what we want to expound upon, to explain, and to show you what this looks like in life. This is what we are to do, and we've been commissioned by Christ. So when are we to do this? So if Christ and the Father are commissioning us to preach the word, when do you do this? Well, just keep reading. Look at verse 2. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Be ready. Uh, It was used of a soldier who was prepared to go to war, like he's getting ready for a battle. And there is something about if you know you're going to engage in a life and death battle that brings a lot of clarity and focus. It was also used of like a guard who was watching over a city to make sure that it wasn't under attack. You're not sleeping on the job. You were alert and paying attention. He says, preach the word. Timothy, you're to be ready in season and out of season when it's convenient and when it's not. Whether you're doing it in a personal discipleship, one-on-one, you're in a small group, or in your large setting, your job is to proclaim the word. And you're to be ready and to do this when the crowds are large and when there's a few. When folks are loving on you and you're being affirmed, and when you're being criticized, maligned, and slandered, that doesn't matter. You're a herald of the king. You deliver the message. And you need to be ready in season and out of season, like a farmer. So like in central Texas, right now, it is harvest time. It is in season. We've been there for like a month plus now. And all the fruit of the the plants is being harvested. And this is in season. But did you know that a farmer is always working? He has to work not only in season, harvest time, you've got to work out of season. Like, for instance, you've got to plow the ground. You've got to plant seeds. You've got to fertilize. Like when I was at my grandparents' uh, farm, you'd spend summers and you'd be picking rocks out of the field so they didn't go through the combine. Not a, a glamorous job by any stretch of the imagination. Difficult work. But you've got to do the work in season and out of season. That's what it's like when it comes to the preaching the word. You have got to be ready. You you be faithful even when there's no crop that is visibly apparent. So you see this, like in Acts chapter 2, you got Peter, he preaches, you know, kind of a hostile crowd, but God does the work because you can't change any hearts. And 3,000 people place their faith in Christ. Wow, awesome. I want to do that. A little later on, you keep reading in Acts chapter 7, you find there's a guy named Stephen. Talk about a guy who knew his Old Testament, nails it one chapter. And he proclaims Christ from the Old Testament scriptures. 
And do you remember what happened with him? Well, they picked about 300 stones and they stoned him to death. You be ready in season and out of season. You cannot alter your preaching because people do not like it or it may not be popular. You preach the word and you let God be in charge of the response. You're just called to be a faithful. So when do we do this? In season, out of season, all the time. Well, then how are you to do this? Okay, if we're to preach the word, we're ready in season, out of season. How do you do it? Well, look what he says, verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And then he tells us, there's not only right content, the word, there is a right manner in preaching. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. You see, when you preach the word, when you're proclaiming the scriptures, you are calling for a response. It's not like you're just giving a running commentary and you're just trying to, I want you to be informed about what this says. You're not trying to create smarter sinners. What you're trying to do is get people to believe in Christ, to engage the gospel, and to trust him to bring a maturity in a person's life. And so he explains what this looks like. God changes our comprehension, our convictions, our beliefs, our attitudes, our values. And from whatever you believe, you live out. You always live out your convictions. It brings about a change of behavior. And so he says, reprove. That has the idea of correcting behavior or false doctrine. And what this does is as you teach the scriptures, God then, through his word, confronts our beliefs, whether they're aligned or they're misaligned. And so through the preaching of the word, people go, wow, that's really what God is like. Or this is why it's important. Or this is why these things happen. This is truth. And so there's correction and training that takes place. So he reproves. But not only reproving, but notice what he also says, rebuking. This has the idea of correcting a person's motives. Now, it's not like, well, the preacher gets up there and he starts calling people out. Billy Bob, it's time for you to forgive your wife. You know, that's no, no, no. You let God do the work. And he does it through the preaching of the word. All of a sudden, motives are addressed. You will not forgive. But God, through the preaching of the word, and you see how glorious God is and how he wants to lead you, there's a rebuke that takes place. And it's done through the preaching of the word. And notice how else we're supposed to do this. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Here's the great word parakaleo. It's used of actually the Holy Spirit. It speaks of the idea of encouragement, to come alongside. It was used to picture like a coach working with an athlete. Now, I know that some of you, athletics was a very miserable experience for your life. You had an old school coach, man. He just tore you up one side and down the other. He made you run till you were sicker than you've ever been. And, and he was always tearing you down. But actually, the best coaches not only know how to bring reproof and rebuke, like you're doing it wrong, they know how to encourage. This is how you do it right. And I believe that you can. In fact, when you get a coach... They not only can reprove and rebuke, but can encourage. You got guys and gals believing they could do things that they never thought were possible. And that's what you do through the preaching of the word. All of a sudden, people that are weighed down with all the cares and the difficulties of the world. I mean, if we just said, hey, we're going to take a time out and have everybody just disclose 
the pain, the problems, and the issues you're facing. There are folks in here that may feel hopeless. You are hemorrhaging. You're, you're functioning on fumes. Uh, you've been hurt tr- tremendously. There is all sorts of pain. There's difficulties. There's the unknown. There's the lack of clarity. It's through the preaching of the word that you encourage people by pointing, hey, just remember God's in the equation. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. This is truth. This is manna for your life. And all of a sudden, the saints are encouraged. I had one lady told me last week, like, I just need to be here. Why? Because I need to be refreshed in my faith. I need the preaching of the word, the washing of the water of the word. God brings growth, health, life, vitality. And that's how the spiritual life works. He set it up that way. And so what happens is God brings about this transformation. And in order to do that, like exhortation is, is to come alongside with encouragement. He says this, I don't want you to miss it, with verse 2, great patience and instruction. True spiritual growth occurs over a long period of time. I don't know about you, but I've never seen like instant full mature tree. You don't just like plant this little sapling and overnight. No, it doesn't work that way, does it? It takes a long period of time. And so it does with the saints. Healthy growth is like a tree. It's like our vision statement. You're growing deep in knowing God and his word. And as the spirit of Christ works within you and you're growing to know God, then you start branching out and reaching out. Maturity is taking place. And so what you do is you speak the truth in love. This is how you do it. Let's uh, talk about like you taking your vehicle to wherever you get them repaired. I, I'm on a first name basis where I go. Uh, I've got all of the numbers. I've, I've got a mic. I just say call and it, and it does. Uh, I, that's because I drive all these broken down vehicles, high mileage. It's my most expensive friendship in Waco. Okay. Give them all my money. They love seeing me coming man. I'm just like, Cha-ching, cha-ching, when they see me coming, right? Well, let's say I take my vehicle in, I'm, and this happened like this summer. <laughs> I've got, we got this van, and I'm taking my family, and we're going to do some traveling outside of a 40-mile radius of Waco, so I want to make sure it's going to make it. And so we, uh, I said, listen, I want you to look it over. I, I need to make sure everything's working right. And besides, my wife drives this van. I, I need it working great. And they, they looked it over, and like, oh, it's, it's great. Everything's fine. Now, imagine, though, that everything wasn't fine. And I'm driving my van. They had just told me that this is an amazing machine of power and beauty. I'm like, wow, <laughs> glad to hear it, you know. It's getting close to 200,000. And man, it's still in good shape, right? But I'm driving back and all of a sudden the brakes don't work. And I barely avoid a serious accident. And all of a sudden smoke's coming out of the engine. And I tow it back there. And this uh, new mechanic takes a look and like, man, you know, no brake fluid. You didn't have your brakes. I'm surprised the engine actually ran. You go and talk to the guy at the front desk and say, what were you thinking? Telling me my vehicle is awesome, there's no problems. Clearly, there were huge issues. And all of a sudden, well, you know, at our place, we, uh, we want people to feel good. This is a safe place. We, we don't want people to have bad feelings or think bad about us. We, we want to tell them what they want to hear. And that's why we told you that your vehicle was fine. When it actually it wasn't, you know, I, I don't know about you, I'd like, look, listen, when it comes to my vehicle, I want the truth. Don't tell me some fancy story. Just tell me what the real deal is. And if there's something broke, let's get it fixed. That's how this works, right? Let's take it home. Let's say you go visit your doctor. 
And you're supposed to have a physical. Well, I should probably do that. And you, and the, and your doctor looks you over and says, "I tell you what, you are a fine specimen of, of Olympian health. I, how do you do it?" And you're thinking, "How do I do it? I hardly exercise, you know." But I'm gonna track it up to genetics, man. I'm feeling really good, you know. And like, thanks, doc, man. Cool. I was not expecting that. Uh, you see, you go there and you get worked over about all the things you need to drop a lot of weight and you know all that stuff. And, well, you, you're head back to work, and you go up a flight of stairs, and all of a sudden your heart gives out, you know, and it's trauma, and they have to haul you into the emergency room, and, and they tell you, listen, whew, you are about one plate of brisket away from eternity. And you're like, what? My doctor said I was doing awesome. Like, you got so many issues, buddy. And, you know, when you finally eventually link up to your doctor and you said, listen, what were you telling me I was in awesome shape for when clearly I got some issues? Well, the doctor says, you know, I knew that you were worse off than the Pillsbury Doughboy. I, I mean, I, I, I was surprised you were doing as well, like even getting into my office. But I tell you what, I want people happy with me. I don't want to tell them bad news. I want this to be a safe place. And so I, I told you some things that I thought you would like to hear. And you're like, doctor, listen, your job is to tell me the truth. And if we got issues, we need to address them. That makes sense with our cars. That sure makes sense with our health. Why? Because when it comes to things that are important, we don't want illusions. We don't want myths. We want the real deal. We want to be told the truth. And that's why God says, I want you to preach the word. My people need to know the truth about me, about life, about sin, about reality, about the stupid decisions they're about to make. I want them to know how to live. You preach the word. You see, God shepherds his people through the preaching of the word. So when you're preaching the word, God's the one doing the shepherding. He does it through his word. And so what God wants is for people to know Christ and to grow fully mature in him to a place where they're actually doing that with others. They're multiplying themselves in the lives of other people. Remember what Peter wrote, like 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You want to grow. God wants you not to stay as an infant, but to grow fully mature. And so what God does, he regenerates, he recalibrates, he restores, he renews all of this through the preaching of the word. That's why he says, I want you to preach the word. God brings transformation through his revelation. And this is how you do it. You don't beat the sheep. You speak the truth in love. Well, why is this so important? Why is the preaching of the word so very important to God? Well, you don't have to guess. Look what he says in verses 3 and 4. For the time will come where they'll not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. You see, fallen human nature recoils against God's truth. It's like they don't they don't want it. You see, we got a problem in Christianity. And it's it's really it has to do everything with a, their diet. Not the I'm not talking about bulging waistlines, you know what I'm talking about? The emaciated Christian who just doesn't have food, the word that brings life and truth. And so he says the time's going to come, you better get ready Timothy. They're not going to even want it. They won't tolerate. They won't endure it. I want you to also see that preaching and teaching go together. But people are going to be attracted to spirituality on their terms, not on God's. 
and they're going to turn aside. It would be great if like you just, you man, people just like, I just want to know what God has to say in the word. But oftentimes that is not the case. And so they're going to find people that will tickle their ears. They will, that people that will scratch them where they're itching. They don't, they're going to want spirituality on their terms. Instead of conforming their life to the word of God, they're going to try to conform the word of God to their life, right? And that's, he says, friends, get ready. That's about to come. And they will, look at what verse 4 says. They will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myth. They're going to turn away from truth because they don't want that because they're now the new authority in their life or have always been, they think. And they're going to turn aside to myth. This word turn aside was sometimes used uh, medically to like to refer to like a dislocated joint. I don't know if you've ever had the pleasurable experience of dislocating a bone. Uh, I did at a kid's track meet and I was actually one of the officials. It's a really embarrassing story and I'm not going to get into it. it. It was bad. It was painful. Ambulances involved. It was really bad. And it took me a long time to recover and, you know, go into, you know, not only to get it back in place, it's still, actually it's still hurting even talking about it, but to actually do all the therapy to get where I'm supposed to be. What happens, though, friends, is when you turn to myths, what is, you're like spiritually dislocated. You're like knocked out of joint, as it were. And what happens is there are pseudo-spiritual teachers that'll feed you whatever myth that you might want to hear. And it's kind of, when I tell you that Christianity is being reinvented in our day, this is what it looks like. Instead of pastors being really concerned about what God has revealed in his word, they're far more concerned about the direction of the culture. What are the winds of the culture? What are the new values that are happening and changing like almost weekly? And so like, oh, that's where it's going. And so that starts shaping our message. That starts shaping what we're telling the people. And what's taking place then is that the Bible, although it may not be completely jettisoned, it's for the most part completely God. It might be like this. You, you have a message, and it's all about some sort of cultural issue, or like, well, this is the new morality, or we're, we've got a progressive faith, and things are evolving and changing, and we want you to know that it's kind of going this direction. And you throw in a few Bible verses, but it's kind of like, it's treated like a side salad, the Bible, or like the parsley. You know, you ever go to one of those restaurants, and they put a little piece of parsley there, like, What's up with that? But it was explained to me that it's about presentation. Uh, you know, you can eat it, but does anybody eat the parsley? You can, you know, I mean, you paid for it, right? But it's, it's kind of bitter, like, why did I do that, right? You don't want to eat it. And that's actually what happens when it comes to the Bible. We've sprinkled in a Bible verse. Most people don't eat it. It's a little tough stuff, and so we'll let it pass. Friends, um, the scripture is clear. This is going to be so important that you preach the word because there are going to be people that are going to be clamoring after myths, having their ears tickled. You see, the word of God, when it comes to preaching, is to be like the 72-ounce steak at the Big Texan Steak Ranch. You know, you got the one hour to read it. And if you can do it, it's free, by the way. You got to eat all the other stuff. But that's like main course, man. You know, dive in and you got one hour to do it. That's what God wants. He wants his people feeding on the meat, the word of God. It shapes everything about our lives. And so this text tells us, you know why the preaching word is so important? Because there's going to come a time, Timothy, in your day, and it'll be exponential by the time we get to our present day, where people will not have it. They want myths. 
And so what happens is you got pastors, they got folks in their church, and there's things that just aren't popular anymore. And so if you run into something that doesn't quite fit in with the culture, or this isn't PC, or this is going to step on some toes, well, you know what you do? You get rid of it, or you avoid it, or you jettison all together. So, for instance, if you don't like the idea of sin, the idea that, whoa, there's actually a consequence for my morality when it's in violation of what God has say, well, what you do then is you kind of almost can refer to sin as like catching a cold. Like, eh, it could kind of happen, but it's not a big deal. Or just forget it altogether. Just never mention it. Or, if you don't like the idea of hell, and certainly the most sobering truth in the Bible that God has revealed to us is the reality of hell, well, you just talk about everybody going to heaven. That works. Talking about hell, not so much. If you don't like the idea that salvation is found only in Christ alone, if you want real relationship with God, it's found only, found only in trusting in Jesus, you don't like that? Then you, we got, guess what? We got the all roads lead to heaven approach. Right? That works. You don't like the idea of a sovereign God because that infringes too much on your amazing ability to control all things? You just jettison that. Don't ever talk about the lordship of Jesus. Because after all, a lot of people think they're the ones that are the lord of their lives. By the way, if there's no sin, there's really no need for a savior. If there's no hell, there is no need for salvation. God says, I want my word preached. I want people to know the truth. You're going to do that in a culture that clamors after myth. And so it's kind of like, you know, spirituality today is like, you just go to like the all-you-can buffet. You know, you got all sorts of food from everywhere. Anything you might imagine. Even things you've never thought of. They've concocted. I mean, it's been sitting there for weeks. They've recreated and fashioned and put a new label on it. You can have whatever you want. And so a lot of folks say, well, I'll take a little of this, a little of that. It's kind of like... Um, if you want a golden calf to worship, there is a pseudo-spiritual teacher that will fashion pretty much whatever you want. You ever been to Freebirds or Chipotle? Well, we have like a Freebirds faith or a Chipotle Christianity. And what that looks like is, you know how it works. You go there and like, do you want this? What kind of burrito do you want? You want kind of, you want, do you want meat? Do you want this rice? What do you want? And you pick and choose, like, really don't want that, but love this. Can I get more of that? Well, people do that when it comes to the faith. I really like the idea that God is love. Can I get a double helping on that? Oh, this idea of judgment. Well, that is way too spicy, man. That's not going to work. I don't want that. So we, we eliminate that. And you, you pick and choose. Well, that's totally fine. I want you to get the burrito of your dreams. But it doesn't work that way when it comes to spirituality. God has given us the word, right? And so he says, I want you to preach the word. And so what's happened, though, is we're taking the Bible and we're treating it like Pandora. All right? Thumbs up, like that song. Do not like this, right? And you have the thumbs down. You can't do that when it comes to the scripture. You, I want you to have all the music. You thumbs up, thumbs down on your Pandora. I don't care. Don't tell me about it, but I want you happy. But that doesn't work when it comes to the Bible. God says, I've revealed my truth. The Savior and the Father himself says, preach the word. This is what I want. And God uses scripture to bring spiritual maturity in a person's life. It's like that path of growing in grace. It all begins when you begin with God. You literally believe the gospel like a little sapling. And then you move to a place where you're establishing where those roots are starting to grow deeper and knowing God and his word. We have that in our church. We have brand new Christians that are really starting to grow. And as they start growing, they are branching out in that core, that trunk is expanding. And they're actually starting to get to a place where they serve, where they realize, you know what? 
ta-da, I've realized that life isn't all about me. You move from self-centered to a God-centered approach. And you're like, I think God actually wants to do something with my life. And you actually start serving others, whether it be at home or at church or in the community, wherever. And you see you, whatever you're doing throughout the week is your ministry and your calling. And you then eventually, and this happens with some folks, they actually move to a multiplying ministry where they help others do that exact thing. They're multiplying leaders. But all of this is what God intends. It comes through the preaching of the word. But you know why it's so important? Because there's all sorts of myths and pseudo-spirituality that's there. There is no such thing as spiritual maturity apart from knowing God and his word. Well, what is this going to require to do this? Well, look at verse 5. But you, in contrast to the distractions and deception and the chaos of a self-centered culture, but you, Timothy, be sober in all things. It has the idea of thinking clearly, to not having... Uh, clouded thinking to not be uh, governed by your emotions where you're making all these emotional responses and creating chaos in your relationships and making bad decisions hurting you and others you be sober think clearly endure hardship there is no such thing as a faithful ministry that's not costly you're going to have to endure hardship a couple weeks ago meeting with our pastors we're training And I said, listen, I'd love to spare you pain and problems in ministry and hardship, but there is no such thing. This text tells us you're going to have to endure hardship. And for Timothy, I mean, he had all sorts of experiences. He had people actually doing this, going off to another dog and pony show and believing in myths and and abandoning him. Some people would malign his character. He had to experience slander. He had to be misunderstood. I mean, sometimes they take pastors and like, well, you're dated or you're old or you're irrelevant. They just dismiss them altogether. Not to mention he had his own personal struggles. We know he had physical issues. There was he had his own spiritual issues like, God, why did you call me to a place like this, like Ephesus? When they're far more interested in their immorality and worshiping false gods than they are truth and you. And yet what God does is through the immense challenges and the drama of life and having a family, it makes you real and relatable. It's all part of the process of you fulfilling your ministry of preaching the word. Because friends, just like Timothy, we've got a charge to keep. Timothy, preachers, you're like the Pony Express. You're delivering the message of the letters, no matter what storms you're going through or who's shooting at you. You got a job to do to deliver the mail, the words from God. And so you endure hardship. You do the work of an evangelist. You see that? Um, That word literally means to bring good news. Oftentimes we think the evangelist just, just explains the gospel and wants people just to believe for salvation. Actually, an evangelist's job is much broader than that. It is to tell the good news about God, glorious in every respect, and you are to fulfill your ministry. You are to bring it to the last full measure. And the only way that will ever happen is if you have a long-term approach to the ministry. I've got a picture that I've had for many years. Uh, here's a, here it is right there. This has been in my office for years. It's actually a picture of John MacArthur. He's studying. He's working on developing a message. I got it from his secretary. And... Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had to look at that picture and that was the difference maker. A lifetime. Tough stuff you're going through, whatever, difficulties at home, whatever. A lifetime. You fulfill what God has called you to do. By the way, I was actually at John MacArthur's house one time 
And uh, I went to his office, and I was like thinking, like, wow, this is going to be great. And his office didn't look anything like it. It was like, wow, this isn't really cool at all. The picture is so much better. But anyway, I like the idea of this, a lifetime, fulfill your ministry. And if we're going to fulfill our ministry, we've got to be filled with Christ's strength, filled with the truth, filled with courage and motivation, because why? The preaching of the word is essential to the health of the church. That is why preaching of the word, expository preaching, is so very important at fellowship. Because we understand that God shepherds his people through the preaching of the word. Some of you are familiar with the RMS uh, La Usitania. It was a ship that was uh, built and commissioned in 1906. When it was built, it was the largest ship ever constructed. It was also considered the most luxurious and this is a ocean liner, the British ocean liner. It makes trips back and forth. But on May 7th, 1915, a German torpedo from a submarine struck the side of this ship. And it created quite a panic for the 1,959 crew and members that were on there. They all heard the explosion, felt the jolt. And there was apparently one lady that came up to the captain and it's like, Hey, are we okay? What do you wish us to do, Captain? And Captain William Thomas Turner said this, Stay right where you are, madam. She's all right. And she's like, what? And she goes, where did you get your information? And he said this, from the engine room, madam. But he received no such message from the engine room. Because clearly they had told him no such thing. And so... Nonetheless, though, that woman, after she heard that, and then there was another guy that heard this, they began making their way back to the stern, and they were telling everybody, everything's okay, the captain says, the boat will not sink. One second-class passenger by the name of Henry Needham, he actually remarked this, that when the remark was said that everything's okay, the ship won't sink, there was greeted with cheers, he noticed that people that were, had been trying to get into these lifeboats actually stopped doing so, they just let them go. Because after all, the captain said, everything's fine, you need not worry. And they turned away in apparent contentment. At about that time, there was another explosion in the center of the ship. And then it started to quickly start listing on the starboard side. And within 18 minutes, the ship was at the seabed. And it took with it 1,198 passengers and crew. And I want you to know that Captain William Thomas Turner, he abandoned his post. He did not tell the truth, and it was costly. I want you to know something. God wants people to know the truth. That is why he says, preach the word. Not my, your message, mine. I want people to know the truth about me, about life about sin, about hell, about heaven, about reality, about my presence, about how I'm going to see you through my promises. You preach the word because the preaching of the word is essential to the health of the church. And I just want to tell you, I've been doing some reflecting this past week. Thank you. Thank you for being a church that values truth, that loves Jesus, that's fulfilling this vision of growing deep in Christ and reaching out. This this very passage, 17 years ago, I was commissioned by Southwest Bible Church in Beaverton, Oregon, with these verses to do just that, to preach the word. And I want to thank you for the joy it's been. And I'm looking forward to what God has for us 
in the future. Friends, this is our charge to keep. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for an amazing passage of scripture. You have given with utter clarity and serious charge that we're to proclaim your word. And Lord, may that always be the case. We've rested on an amazing heritage and we're looking forward to a glorious future until your son returns to do just what you called us to do, to preach the word. And for someone who has come here today who's never truly trusted in Jesus, and you've been drawing them to yourself for some time now, would they just would simply turn from sin and pray with me and say, Lord, I am a sinner and I need saving. I need forgiveness and I need life. And this morning, I believe in your son and ask for you to lead my life. And Lord, for all of us, may we shape, fashioned, and molded to the image of Jesus through your word. May this charge that you've given us be the charge that we keep together for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.